order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Mr. Danny Kinnahan. Question one, please, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I know the whole House will join me in congratulating Andy Murray, Heather Watson, Jordan Wiley, Gordon Reid, and Alfie Hewitt on their stunning success at Wimbledon. Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. Other than one meeting this afternoon with Her Majesty the Queen, the diary for the rest of my day is remarkably light. (laughs) Danny Kinnahan. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker, and my, may I echo the Prime Minister's congratulations to Andrew Murray and all the other winners. But may we thank the Prime Minister for all his hard work and his leadership, yeah. and particularly his commitment to the Union and to Northern Ireland, visiting it often and swimming in Loch Erne, and maybe he'd like to come and swim in Loch Ney. We look forward to the Ulster Unionist Party to working with the, the next Prime Minister. And I'm told that there are lots of leadership roles out there at the moment. There's the England football team. There's Top Gear. There's even across the big pond a role that needs filling. But if, if I can go to my pet subject, Brexit really threatens. Thank you. Brexit really threatens the Union. Would the Prime Minister work with his successors to ensure that we have somebody that is going to pull together all the countries of the Union and the overseas territories and make it all so that we all work and thrive together? Well, well, first of all, let me thank the Honourable Gentleman for his kind remarks and uh, fascinating suggestions for future jobs. I think uh, most of which sound even harder than this one, but um, so I can't pass. Look, I do believe Northern Ireland is stronger than it was six years ago. 58,000 more people in work. The full devolution of justice and home affairs delivered under this government. The Savile Report published and record uh, inward investment and creating jobs in Northern Ireland. I care passionately about our United Kingdom, as I know he does and all of us do in this House. We do need to make sure that we that we do need to make sure that as we leave the European Union we work out how to keep the benefits of the common travel area hard work is being done now with civil servants in Northern Ireland in Whitehall but also in the Republic of Ireland and that work needs to quicken the pace needs to quicken Jack Lepresti Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And I'd like to also pay tribute to my, my honourable friend and all the hard work he's done leading this great country for the last few years. Yeah. Now, my honourable friend's lasting legacy will include supporting the Kurds whose Peshmerga are bravely fighting Daesh in all our interests. Now, having visited the Peshmerga on the front line, I know that our airstrikes, weapons, and training are crucial, but Peshmerga injuries could be reduced with additional equipment like body armour respirators and frontline medical facilities and we could possibly provide some beds in our specialist hospital in Birmingham to the most seriously injured. Does my rotten friend agree that this is a relatively small investment that would make a huge difference to our allies in our common fight to defeat the evil of terrorism? 
Well, let me say to my honourable friend, first of all, thank you for his kind remarks. But also, he's absolutely right that the Kurds are incredibly brave fighters and are doing valuable work against Daesh uh, in Iraq and Syria. Uh, I'll look carefully at his suggestion of using the Birmingham Hospital. The Queen Elizabeth Hospital has excellent uh, facilities for battlefield casualties. Our army is already providing medical instruction to the Peshmerga to help them deal with these situations, but we will look and see if more can be done. But let's be frank, the strategy is working. Daesh is on the back foot. It's lost 45% of the territory it once held in Iraq. Its finances have been hit. More than 25,000 Daesh fighters have now been killed. Desertion has increased and the flow of foreign fighters is up, has fallen by 90%. I've always said this will take a long time to work in Iraq and Syria, but we must stick at it and we must stay the course. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Could I start by joining the Prime Minister in paying tribute to the British winners at Wimbledon, Andy Murray, Heather Watson, Jordana Wiley, Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reid. And also, I think it would be nice if we congratulated Serena Williams on her fantastic achievement as well. Mr Speaker, it's only right that after six years as Prime Minister we thank the Right Honourable Member for Whitney for his service. I've often disagreed with him, but there are some of his achievements I really want to welcome and pay recognition to today. One is helping to secure the release of Shakur Amir from Guantanamo Bay and legislating to achieve equal marriage within our society. And I'm sure he would like to acknowledge that it was Labour votes that helped him to get it through on that occasion. <laughs> Uh, but would he also perhaps for a moment express some concern at the way that homelessness has risen for the past six years and looks like it's going to continue to rise in this country? Well, first of all, let me thank him for his kind remarks. I'll join him in paying tribute to Serena Williams, who's now, I think, knocked uh, Steffi Graf's uh, amazing record of 22 Grand Slams. Uh, 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 she's overtaken that. Can I, thank him? Can I thank him for what he said about Shaker Armour? That was a case that this government raised again and again with the US government, and we're pleased that it's been resolved. I'd also thank him for what he said about equal marriage. There are 30,000 gay people in our country who, in the last um, six years, have been able to get married and I think that is real progress. I'll never forget the day, actually, in number 10, when one of the people who works very close to the front door said to me, uh, I'm not that interested in politics, uh, Mr Cameron, but because of something your lot have done, I'm able to marry the person I've loved all my life this weekend. And that was... Uh, there are many amazing moments in this job, but that actually was one of my favourites. Um, as for homelessness, it is still 10% below the peak that we saw under Labour, but the key is building more homes. We have built 700,000 homes since I, was, so I became Prime Minister, but now we need to quicken the pace on that. But the key to building more homes is, yes, programmes like help to buy, yes the reforms to the planning system, but the absolute key is a strong economy. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, I've been listening carefully to what the Home Secretary has been saying over the last few days, and she said it's harder than ever for young people to buy their first house. So does the Prime Minister think this is because of record low house building, or his government's apparent belief that £450,000 is an affordable starter home? Well, well, first of all, let me say at the dispatch box how warmly I congratulate the Home Secretary on becoming leader of the Conservative Party. And uh, when it comes to women Prime Ministers, I'm very pleased to be able to say pretty soon it's going to be 2-0. <laughs> and not a pink bus in sight, Mr Speaker. Now, on the issue of... 
on the issue of, of, of housing and um, homelessness, as I said, 700,000 homes have been delivered. He asks about this issue of, of affordability, which is absolutely key. When I became Prime Minister, because of what had happened to the mortgage market, uh, a first-time buyer often needed to have as much as £30,000 to put a deposit down. Because of the combination of help to buy and shared ownership, some people are actually able to get on the housing ladder now with a deposit of as little as £2,000. And with the low mortgage rates as well, and the new houses we're building, we're making good progress. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, the malaise seems a little deeper still. The Home Secretary said, so that it really, talking of the economy, she said, so that it really does work for everyone, because it's apparent to anyone in touch with the real world that people do not feel our economy works that way. Isn't she right that too many people in too many places in Britain feel their economy has been destroyed in towns they're in because the industries have gone, there are levels of high unemployment or underemployment and a deep sense of malaise. Don't we all need to address that question? Well, well, if we're going to talk about the economic record, let's get the facts straight. We've cut the deficit by two-thirds. There are two and a half million more people in work in our country. There's almost a million more businesses. 2.9 million apprentices, apprenticeships have been, uh, have been trained under this government. And when it comes to poverty, 300,000 fewer people in relative poverty, 100,000 fewer children in relative poverty. And to be accused of sloth in delivery by the right honourable gentleman, let's just take the last week we both have been having these leadership elections. We got on with it. We've had resignation, nomination, competition and coronation. They haven't even decided what the rules are yet. <laughs> if, they... if they ever got into power, it'd take about a year to work out who would sit where. <laughs> Democracy is an exciting and splendid thing, and I'm enjoying every moment of it. The Home Secretary, the Home Secretary, Mr. Speaker, uh, talking of the economy, the Home Secretary again. She said many people find themselves exploited by unscrupulous bosses. I can't imagine who she's referring to. discussions with the Home Secretary, could he enlighten us as to whether or not there is any proposal to take on Agency Britain by banning zero-hours contracts, clamping down on umbrella companies, repealing the Trade Union Act, or preferably all three? Well, he's right that uh, democracy is a splendid thing. I have to, uh, have to uh, agree with him about that. Let me answer very directly on um, exploitation in the workplace. It's this government that, for the first time, has introduced a national living wage. That is a huge change. It's this government that has massively increased the power of the Gangmasters Licensing Authority. There are record fines for businesses uh, that don't pay the minimum wage and much more policing and prosecutions taking place. All of those things have changed under this government. And as for um, zero-hours contracts, they account for less than one in 40 people in work. 60% of people on zero-hours contracts do not want to work more hours. And it was this government that did something the Labour Party never did, which was to ban exclusive 
exclusive zero hours contract. Thirteen years of labour, but it took a coalition Conservative government to do it. Uh, let me say something to him about the democratic process of leadership elections, because I did say uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago that I thought it was, I have to say, I'm beginning to admire his tenacity. Uh, he is reminding me of the Black Knight in Monty Python's Holy Grail. <laughs> He's been kicked so many times, but he says, keep going, it's only a flesh wound. I admire that. <laughs> Mr Speaker, um, I would like the Prime Minister to address another issue that the House voted on last week. And I've got a question, I've got a question from Nina, who said, no, hang on, yeah, it's a question from somebody who deserves an answer. And she says, I would like to know if there is any possibility that a European Union citizen who has lived in Britain for 30 years can have their right of permanent residence revoked or deported depending on the Brexit negotiations. There has been no clear answer to this question. It is one that worries a very large number of people and it would be good if in his last question time the Prime Minister could at least offer some assurance to those people. Let me reassure Nina, there's absolutely no chance of that uh, happening to someone in those circumstances. We are working hard to do what we want, which is to give a guarantee to EU citizens uh, that they will have their rights respected, all those who, who have come to this country. Uh, I, the only circumstance I could ever envisage a future government trying to undo that uh, guarantee would be if British citizens in other European countries didn't have their rights respected. So I think it is important to have reciprocity. But the, the, the new Prime Minister will be working to give that guarantee as fast as we can. I'm glad he mentions emails because actually I've got an email as well. Um, now, I got this, I'm not making this up, I promise. I got this on the 16th of September 2015 from someone called Judith and she said this, please, please keep dignity and not triumphalism during the first PMQs today with Jeremy Corbyn. And she gave this reason. She said, because Tom Watson, who may oust Jeremy Corbyn, is a very different kettle of fish. He's experienced, organised and far more dangerous in the long term. She goes on, so sensible, sober, polite answers to Mr Corbyn, let him create his own party disunity. <laughs> After this is over, I've got to find Judith and find out what on earth happens next. <laughs> the pleasure of asking the Prime Minister 179 questions. And, uh, thank you. Well, there are plenty more to come to his successor. Don't worry about that. Uh, but before I, before I ask him the last question, could I just put it on record and wish him well as he leaves this office and also to wish his family well, Samantha and their children, because I think we should all recognise that whilst many of us really do our in enjoy our jobs and our political life, it's the loved ones nearest to us and our families that actually make enormous sacrifices that we may be able to do this. So I'd also like him to pass on my thanks to his mum for her advice about ties and suits and songs. <laughs> She's extremely, it's extremely kind of her, and I'd be grateful if he'd pass that on to her personally. And I'm reflecting on the lesson that she offered. But uh, I've got one rumour that I want him to um, deal with. There's a rumour going round 
that um, his departure, his departure has been carefully choreographed so he can slip seamlessly into the vacancy created this morning on Strictly by Len Goodman's departure. Is that his next career? Uh, uh, I, I don't really have a passer double, so no, I can uh, promise that is not the case. Let, let me um, say to him, first of all, thank you for the kind remarks and the good wishes to uh, my amazing wife, Samantha, and my lovely children, who are all watching from the gallery today. Um, He's absolutely right. The pressure is often bears hardest on those we love around us in these jobs. And let me send my best wishes to his family as well. I've done a bit of research, Mr Speaker. I have addressed 5,500 questions from this dispatch box. I'll leave it for others to work out how many I've answered. Um, <laughs> I, because of uh, your belief in letting everyone have their say, I think I've done a record of 92 hours of statements from this um, dispatch box, as well as some very enjoyable liaison committee appearances and other things. Um, I will certainly send my, his good wishes back to my mother. She's, he seems to have taken her advice and is looking absolutely splendid today. But it gives me... It gives me the opportunity to put a rumour uh, to, to rest as well, even more serious than the Strictly Come Dancing one. And he'll appreciate this because El Gato, his cat, is particularly famous. And the rumour that somehow I don't love Larry. I do. And I have photographic evidence to prove it. Um, sadly, I can't take Larry with me. He belongs to the house and the staff love him very much, as do I. Oh, Mr Peter Lilly. Uh, is my right honourable friend aware that in 33 years in this House, watching five Prime Ministers and several ex-Prime Ministers, I've seen him achieve a mastery of that dispatch box unparalleled uh, in my time. Not just because of his command of detail, of his wit, but because he commands the respect of friend and foe alike who know that he's driven not just by le legitimate political uh, ambitions and ideas but by a sense of duty which he always leads him to try to make this country more prosperous, more solvent, more tolerant, more fair and more free. And he will command the respect of generations to come. Those, those, those words mean a lot from my right honourable friend who spent so much time in this house. It is a special place and I think Prime Minister's Questions for all its theatrics does have a purpose because it's a time when every week the Prime Minister has to know absolutely everything that is going on in Whitehall and often you find out things uh, that you want to stop pretty quickly uh, before <laughs> 12 o'clock on a Wednesday. I believe that politics is about public service in the national interest and that is what I've always tried to do. Uh, this session does have some admirers around the world. I remember when I did his job and I met Mayor Bloomberg in New York and we walked down the street and everyone knew Mike Bloomberg and everyone came up and said, Mayor, you're doing a great job. No one had a clue who I was until eventually someone said, hey, Cameron, Prime Minister's Questions, we love your show. <laughs> Mr Angus Robertson. Thank you very much. And I join the Prime Minister and the leader of the Labour Party in paying tribute to all of the winners at Wimbledon. This week we mark the 21st anniversary of the Srebrenica genocide. It's one of the few political causes that the Prime Minister and I both wholeheartedly support and I hope he will be impressing on his successor the importance of supporting the Remembering Srebrenica organisation and all of the good work that it does across yeah. the UK. Yeah. Yeah. 
Notwithstanding our differences, I genuinely extend my best personal wishes to the Prime Minister and to his family. I wish them all the best. However, <laughs> the Prime Minister's legacy will undoubtedly be that he has taken us to the brink of being taken out of the European Union, so we will not be applauding his premiership on these benches. What advice, what advice has he given his successor on taking Scotland out of the EU against the wishes of Scottish voters? Well, first of all, let me join the right hon. Gentleman in, in paying tribute to all those who lost their lives in Srebrenica and making sure that we commemorate this event properly every year. This year there will be a service in the Foreign Office where commemoration will be given, where testimony will be read out, and we should think of it alongside the terrible events of modern history, such as the Holocaust, and think about it in that way. It also, I think, reminds us, as we often debate in this House, there's a price for intervention, but there's also sometimes a price from non-intervention, and we should remember that. In in terms of what he says about Scotland and the United Kingdom and Europe, my advice to my successor, who is a brilliant negotiator, uh, uh, is that we should try to be as close to the European Union as we can be uh, for the benefits of trade, of cooperation and of security. The channel will not get any wider once we leave the European Union and that is the relationship we should seek. That will be good for the United Kingdom and good for Scotland. Rangers Robertson. The Prime Minister's successor is very, very well known in Scotland at the present time. It's across all the front pages because of the threat to deport the very much loved and liked brain family from the Highlands. The first vote of her premiership is likely to be imposing trident against the wishes of almost every single MP from Scotland. Meanwhile, she says she plans to plough on. Meanwhile, she plans to plough on with Brexit regardless of the fact that Scotland voted to remain in the EU. How does the outgoing Prime Minister think that all of this will go down in Scotland? Well, first of all, specifically on the Brain family, Mrs Brain came to this country on a Tier 4 visa, on a student visa, to study for a Scottish history degree. She completed it, and her husband and her son came as dependents. We've given them an extension to the 1st of August um, to put in an application for a work visa in the normal way, and I very much hope that will happen. On Trident, there will be a vote in this House, and it's right this House should decide, and actually many people in Scotland support our nuclear deterrent, maintaining it, and the jobs that come in Scotland. He asks about the record, of this Scotland, the record of this government when it comes to Scotland. Well, I'll tell him what it is. 143,000 more people in work in Scotland. Massive investment in the renewable industries in Scotland. The two biggest warships ever built in our history, built in Scotland. A powerhouse parliament, a referendum that was legal, decisive and fair. And, I might add, a Scotsman winning Wimbledon twice while I was Prime Minister. Never mind Indy too. I think it's time for Andy too. Jane Churchill. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I would like to thank the Prime Minister for the leadership he's shown, particularly in his support of women uh, within the Conservative Party. The Prime Minister's legacy for me, however, and for fellow cancer survivors, is the personal support that he has shown for the Cancer Drug Fund. However, today I would like him to ask, uh, to ask him to show that same support for those who have been affected by the contaminated blood. 
Would he please update the House as to whether they too will have a legacy? Well, can I thank my honourable friend for what she says about the Cancer Drugs Fund. It has helped many families and many people in our country. She's absolutely right to raise this issue of contaminated blood. And I can today announce that we will be spending the extra £125 million we've identified in a much fairer and more comprehensive scheme. We'll guarantee that all those infected will, for the first time, receive a regular annual payment. This will include all those with hepatitis stage 1, who will now receive £3,500 per year, rising to £4,500 per year by the end of the Parliament. For those with hepatitis C at stage 2, HIV or co-infected with both, annual payments will increase over the lifetime of the Parliament and will enhance the support for those who have been bereaved or those who will be in future, significantly boosting the money for the discretionary payments. Last year I apologised to the victims on on behalf of the British Government for something that should never have happened. Today I am proud to provide them with the support that they deserve. And while it is not right to pick out um, two people, I think people should know that coming to constituency surgeries, making your point to your Member of Parliament, campaigning as these sufferers have done, in my case David Ledbetter and Matthew Davis repeatedly coming to my surgery and saying this mustn't stand, more must be done. I know that not everyone will be fully satisfied with what's being done, but it does show our democracy working and compassion in replying to this terrible problem. Jeff Smith. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister came to office promising to keep the UK's AAA rating, to end top-down NHS reorganisations, and to stop his party banging on about Europe. How would you say that's gone? <laughs> well, I think in terms of the economic record, two and a half million more jobs, the deficit cut by two thirds. 2.9 million apprenticeships, a million more businesses, a growth rate that's been at the top of the developed world, all of that because of the choices that we made. And because we did that, we've been able to back our NHS with a 10% funding increase, over 10 billion in real terms uh, in this Parliament. As for Europe, we have to settle these issues. And I think it's right when you're trying to settle a really big constitutional issue, you don't just rely on Parliament, you ask the people as well. We made a promise and we kept a promise. Steve Brine. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. I'm, I'm very sorry this turns out to be my last question to the Prime Minister, but I want to thank him for everything he's done for my constituency, where every school is now good or outstanding and the jobless total is down 64% since he took office. As he prepares to leave Downing Street, can I encourage him to return to the big society agenda that I know he's so passionate about? And can I ask him if he remembers saying shortly before com- becoming Prime Minister, Politicians are a mixture of egotism and altruism, and you just hope the right one wins out so people do the right thing rather than the politically convenient thing. It seems to me that he's stayed on the right side of that divide in the last six years, not least in the manner of his departure, and I think this country is going to miss him a great deal. Can I um, thank my friend for his very kind remarks? I think when it comes to education, I think there's a very strong record to build on. We've got 1.4 million more children in good or outstanding schools than in 2010. We've seen the free schools movement really take off with over 300 free schools open. I visited one yesterday that is outstanding. A quarter of them are outstanding, which is an amazing record when you think how little time they've had um, to get going. And so I think we should build on that record. As for the big society, yes, we should use a stronger economy to 
build a bigger and stronger society. And one of the things that we are doing is introducing national citizen service. 200,000 young people have taken part in that programme, and I hope by the end of this Parliament it will be the norm for 16-year-olds to take part. We talk about the soft skills that are necessary to give people real-life chances. Well, many people don't get those chances, and national citizen service will help them. Graham Stringer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I thank the Prime Minister for the courteous way he's always answered questions I've managed uh, to ask him. I've always listened carefully uh, to his answers, but until I had two eye operations, I wasn't able to see him uh, very clearly. Is he uh, he as concerned as I am about the newspaper uh, reports that people who aren't entitled to NHS cataract operations are jumping the queue and stopping people who are entitled uh, to NHS operations having that treatment? Well, I will look very carefully. First of all, can I thank him for his kind remarks? I've tried to answer questions from this dispatch box. Uh, It's difficult sometimes when you haven't seen the specific story, and I haven't seen the story here. Uh, I recall from previous occasions that we are still investing in these cataract operations, and the number receiving them are going up. But I'll look carefully um, this afternoon at the question he (laughs) asked um, uh, about the danger of queue jumping and get back to him. Wendy Morton. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, in my constituency of Aldridge Brown Hills, unemployment has dropped from 5.1% in May 2010 to 1.9% in May this year. A record to be proud of and one I would like to thank him for. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that this has only been possible thanks to his firm focus on jobs, apprenticeships and skills, the strong economy and investment? Well, the figures are remarkable. When a constituency is getting to 1.9% in terms of unemployment, that is very, very close to uh, full employment, uh, and it's a remarkable record. What we've done with apprenticeships was 2.4 million in the last Parliament, an extra 500,000 already in this Parliament, towards the target of 3 million in this Parliament, which I'm confident if we work hard we can achieve it. And we should think, Mr Speaker, these are not just numbers on a page. They're real people who have experience of the workplace, who are learning a trade and are taking their first steps in their career. And what I want is when they get that career, not only do we have the national living wage, but we also make sure that people don't start paying income tax until they're earning a good wage. And we've taken four million of the lowest paid people in our country out of income tax altogether. That is a record to be proud of. Adrian Bailey. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This week is Black Country Week. Yesterday, Black Country manufacturers were in Parliament demonstrating the high quality products that are exported worldwide. Will the outgoing Prime Minister impress upon the incoming Prime Minister the huge importance of maintaining access to the EU single market during Brexit negotiations in order that we can maximise the black country contribution to exports, productivity and jobs. Well, I absolutely agree with the Honourable Gentleman. What we've seen in the West Midlands is 173,000 more people in work under this government, and we have seen something of a renaissance in manufacturing, particularly in the automotive sector, some of which is indeed uh, in the black country. And it is vital for that industry that we have proper access to the single market, and I think he's right, this is going to be one of the things we've absolutely got to focus on. I want automotive, aerospace, these high-quality manufacturing firms to go from strength to strength in our country 
and making sure we get that vital access to Europe is going to be vital. Robin Walker. Was applying to become Conservative parliamentary candidate for Labour held Worcester as my right honourable friend was uniting the opposition and preparing it for government. Like so many on these benches, uh, I entered this House in the week that he first became Prime Minister. And since that time, unemployment in Worcester has halved, apprenticeships have doubled. We have more good and outstanding schools beginning to receive fairer funding. Wages are up and taxes are down. Can I thank my right honourable friend for all his service to our nation and for the legacy of improved life chances he will leave behind. Well, can I thank him for his uh, kind remarks? Uh, we are seeing, we've seen unemployment fall in all of these uh, constituencies. We've seen the claimant count go down. I think more important is we now see 450,000 fewer children in households where nobody works. And thinking of the effect of having a, a parent or a loved one in work helping to put food on the table and provide a role model for their children, that's really what this is all about. So I thank him for his kind remarks. Carol Monaghan. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Between broken vows, Brexit and the likely renewal of weapons of mass destruction in the Clyde, the Prime Minister the Prime Minister has done more for Scottish independence than many of us on these benches could ever hope to do. So, as he contemplates a move to Aberdeenshire, could the Prime Minister now make his commitment to Scottish independence official by visiting smp.org forward slash join? What I say to the Honourable Lady, and indeed to all the SNP members of Parliament, is when you have Lord Smith himself saying that the vow to create a powerhouse Parliament was kept, the SNP should pay attention to that and recognise a promise was made and a promise was delivered. I've talked many times at this dispatch box about creating this powerhouse Parliament. What I haven't seen is the SNP using any of the powers they've now got. Finally, Mr. Kenneth Clark. Uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, can I first of all join all of those in thanking the Prime Minister for the statesmanlike leadership that he's given to our party and to the country for the last six years, and to thank him particularly on this occasion for the debating eloquence, but also the wit and the humour that he's always brought to Prime Minister's questions on Wednesday. And can I ask that, uh, uh, as no doubt he will have some plans for a slightly more enjoyable and relaxed Wednesday morning and lunchtime, uh, nevertheless he will still be an active participant in this House as it faces a large number of problems over the next few years. As no two people know what Brexit means, means at the moment, we need his advice and his statesmanship as much as we ever have. Can I thank my right hon. Friend for his very kind remarks. I remember one of the toughest conversations I had in politics was actually uh, when I was leader of the opposition and I was trying to get him to join my front bench and he was on a bird watching holiday in Patagonia and it was almost (laughs) impossible to persuade him to come back. Not uh, many people know this, but actually his first act as Chancellor of the Exchequer was to fire me as a special advisor. And I'm very, 
I'm very proud of the fact that one of my first acts was to appoint him to my cabinet uh, in the coalition government, and I know the then Deputy Prime Minister will join me in saying that he provided great wisdom, great thoughtfulness, great ballast at a time of national difficulty in the advice that he gave us. He's not always the easiest person to get hold of. We've, we've tried Tory modernisation has never quite got as far as getting Ken Clark to uh, carry a mobile phone. He, <laughs> he did briefly have one, but he said, uh, the problem is people keep ringing me on it. Uh, <laughs> which was, uh, uh, and we had to move, I seem to remember, in opposition, we had to move our morning meeting to accommodate his nine o'clock cigar. Um, <laughs> but I will um, watch these exchanges from the backbenchers. I will miss the roar of the crowd. I will miss the barbs from the opposition. But I will be willing you on. And when I say willing you on, I don't just mean willing on the new Prime Minister at this dispatch box, or indeed just willing on uh, the front bench defending the manifesto that I helped to put together. But I mean willing all of you on, because people come here with huge passion for the issues they care about. They come here with great love for the constituencies that they represent. And also willing on this place, because, yes, we can be pretty tough and test and challenge our leaders, uh, perhaps more than some other countries, but that is something we should be proud of and we should keep at it. And I hope you will all keep at it and I will will you on as you do. The last thing I'd say is that you can achieve a lot of things in politics. You can get a lot of things done. And that, in the end, the public service, the national interest, that is what it's all about. Nothing is really impossible if you put your mind to it. After all, as I once said, I was the future once. <laughs> <laughs>